Into every generation, there is a chosen one. Uh, excuse me, two. One girl in all the world. Two, two girls? Who is this guy? She is... This might have been a... Big Miss Steak. Steak. S-T-A-K-E. Like what you kill a vampire with. A Buffy podcast. Hi, everybody. Welcome to a new episode of Big Miss Steak. It's a Buffy podcast. And I'm Melissa. Hi, everybody. I'm your other host, Aditi. And today... We are here to talk about Season 1, Episode 11 of Buffy the Vampire Slayer, Out of Mind, Out of Sight. Let's do it. I gotta say, this one is an episode that really resonated with me when I was an angry child. Yeah, it was very heavy-handed and meant for children, so I assumed it spoke to you as a wee lass. Yeah, I was all about it. It really spoke to me on many (laughs) levels. Were you like that The Who song? No one knows what it's like to be the sad man behind blue eyes. Is that not a Papa Roach song? Didn't they do a cover of it? <laughs> no, ma'am. It was it was um with the Nookie. What's the Nookie guy? I did it all for the Nookie. What's that guy? Limp Biscuit. Fred Durst is the guy. <laughs> yeah, it was Fred Durst. <laughs> Excuse me, Mr. Nookie. Do you know what the world needs? <laughs> Let's get into it. So we heard the takes when we were small. Now, as an adult, what are your takes? Before we get into that, let's give the summary of this episode. Buffy and Cordelia become unlikely allies to combat an invisible spirit that has targeted Cordelia and everyone around her. Meanwhile, Angel goes to Giles to warn him that Buffy could be in grave danger. Mm. (laughs) Angel was back this episode. What did you think about that? So I actually did not read the episode summary to maintain purity. So when I saw him pop up, I was like, oh, thank <laughs> God. It had been like so long. When was the last Buffy ep- When was the last Angel episode we had? It was a while. I think it was episode seven, Angel, where we got like his entire backstory. We did. And jealous. We saw the kiss. We saw the tattoo. We found out he's Irish, and then he just ghosted. He did the Irish goodbye to Buffy. <laughs> he did the Irish goodbye. He he ghosted for four episodes. <laughs> yes, I was very excited to see him. I really like this episode. Uh, I love Cordelia, so I was really excited to get a Cordelia-heavy episode. Got a little bit of Angel, not too much. Got, you know, got enough to keep things going, and the story was great. So this episode was written by the same writer as I, Robot, You, Jane, another episode that you really enjoyed. No wonder. Cheers to that guy. Cheers to you, Thomas A. Swyden, writer of I, Robot, You, Jane, and Out of Mind, Out of Sight. Also, the person who directed this is named, oh gosh, I hope I pronounced this correctly, Reza Badigi. He directed... Get Smart, The Doris Day Show, Six Million Dollar Man, Starsky and Hutch, Hawaii Five O, the original one, The Incredible Hulk, Cagney and Lacey, Falcon Crest, Dinosaurs in the Heat of the Night, <gasps> Star Trek, Deep Space Nine with Principal Snyder, Baywatch, Baywatch Nights, Mortal Kombat, Sliders, and most importantly, She Spies, which came on after Saturday Night Live, and I loved it. 
I was excited to hear he directed Dinosaurs, which is an incredible watch. You should watch it as an adult because I watched it as a kid and I was like, this is funny. I'm not registering the deeper elements. And now watching it as an adult, you're like, oh, they all killed themselves. He is the baby. You do got to love him. I relate to the baby tremendously. I too am fueled by love and spite. (laughs) And I feel like... I understand why I should stay away from power, because the baby would be a tyrant if he were to get power. Well, I wish you the best of luck in your career. I hope you don't ascend too far. (laughs) We have so many famous faces in this episode. We have Marcy Ross, the girl who is ignored by her classmates so hard that she becomes invisible. Yes. Marcy, did she look familiar? I was so excited to see Clea Duvall because I love her. The entire episode to me, I don't know if you felt like this, but the entire episode had a very She's All That vibe with the, you know, spring dance and the like overpopularity. And then obviously Clea Duvall is like very briefly in that movie. And I just like love her career. I loved her in Veep. Um, She was incredible in Veep. I mean, that show is like murderer's row of talent, but she's like great in it. She's an icon. She was in Bones with Angel. She was in... How could I forget this as a boner? As a boner? How dare you? Oh, God. A pretty soft boner, if you ask me. (laughs) Uh, She was also in the American version of The Grudge with Sarah Michelle Gellar. She was in Girl Interrupted, and she solidified her status as a queer icon in the film But I'm a Cheerleader with Natasha Lyonne. Yes, yes, mm-hmm. she is in Vanessa Cheerleader. She really is iconic. She was really young when she did this, like 18 or 19, and she's reflecting on this in an interview. And she says, I was nervous and very shy, but really related to that character so much because I'm a shy person, I'm an introvert. I was so taken with the sensitivity and the emotion in that role. Yeah, like. You feel for Marcy, and then Marcy, like, what I admire about the show is it just goes there. It really will go from zero to 60. Like, you're there, you're watching Mitch in the locker room, living his regulation hottie lifestyle, and then he gets beaten with a bat. You see, you know, stoner bitch Laura smoking, and then she gets beaten by the ugly man. Like, the show just goes there. And so, uh, not to give too much away, but when she wants to disfigure Cordelia, I'm like, oh my gosh, that is an extreme reaction. Yeah, I don't know what it says about eight-year-old me that I was like, yes, Marcy, go, like, cut her face up. You know, it was your it was your latent girl boss. You were like, yes, she's taking control of the narrative, yes. <laughs> Um, yeah, I thought it was really good. Like, I love the, like, reference to, you know, Invisible Man, like, the H.G. Wells story. Like, that's classic horror. Like, the episodes I like a lot obviously have to have Angel. But if they don't, I like the episodes where they're, like, being a little tropey, but, like, done, like, in a modern high school twist. Yeah, I had so much fun, and I knew you were going to like it. Because you talked so much about how much you love Cordelia, and I thought it was so cool how we got to see more of why she is the way that she is. And you asked some really insightful questions earlier in the season, like, why is she a mean girl? And, you know, how you thought she was so smart, even though you hadn't really seen her, you know, do anything except for spar with Buffy. But here we see 
that she seems to be very invested in her schoolwork. She at least seems to be motivated in terms of book smarts, and she clearly has some street smarts because she understands what's going on and and is able to pick up on the fact that she's being targeted and Buffy's the one to help. Yeah, I was going to make a joke and say I, I relate to Cordelia so much because I was like Cordelia in high school and we all know that I was Willow, like Aww. inveterate Willow, like <laughs> down to the Scooby-Doo t-shirt. Okay, so I want to talk about the Scooby-Doo t-shirt. Let's just open up Slayer Nay. Slay or Nay. Okay, Willow has a Scooby-Doo t-shirt. <laughs> Later on in the episode, we see Buffy in a truly tragic outfit, wearing a a scarf tied around her neck like Daphne. And then mm-hmm. when Marcy traps them in the room and tries to gas them out, Xander realizes what's going on and says, can you say gulp? Much like Shaggy from Scooby-Doo. Oh. Later on in the series, instead of the Slayerettes, this group of ragtag young teen heroes will come to be known as the Scoobies or the Scooby gang. So this is like the the beginning of that nickname journey for them. Oh, cute. Mm -hmm. I thought that the episode had not a lot of looks, but I liked a lot of the looks. Yeah. Oh my God. Loved Cordelia's like aquamarine dress. Like, you know, you had to be like a next tier high school hottie to pull that off with heels. Like you knew what you were doing and you were ready for it. And that level of confidence I have yet to unlock in this lifetime. Great for her. I, I too was very invested in that dress. I just about lost my mind and I was trying to like take it all in, get all the details. I think mm-hmm. it is a two piece. It's a sweater and matching skirt. Really? So versatile. The sweater was metallic in its own way. It had like its own texture and sparkle. Mm -hmm. I think it's like the best thing we've seen on the show so far. I loved the like white shirt, pink cherry skirt, brown boot combo that Buffy wears throughout the majority of the episode. I thought the length of skirt was unusually long for her, but I really liked it. I loved that that pattern. Like I would wear that ensemble now. I love red and pink. I think they look really cool together. I also made note of the length of the skirt. I just thought it was a little bit awkward with how high the boots were, but I think she looked good. She's flouting her short skirt, long jacket mood, but you know, she's looking good. I will say another thing that's looking good is her hair. I think her hair is getting better. Yeah. 1000% 1000% agree. I did love that outfit, but I hated her second one with the horrible scarf. The blue shirt. The blue shirt. It looked like she was wearing a caftan. It looked like she was like a like a 16th century monk that had to fight her way out. <laughs> but like top only. Yeah. Like no bottom. <laughs> <laughs> I liked her sunglasses and I liked like the updo and the scarf. Like I like I liked the like neck up I thought was cool. But the caftan, it was very like barefoot contessa, like just a lot of shapeless wear, which I respect. I love the barefoot contessa. But it was like how barefoot contessa got her groove back because it was slit up the middle. <laughs> it was, it was. Can you <laughs> Yeah, because the barefoot contessa usually wears like her uniform of loose fitting pants and like a loose fitting caftan of a dark color. But yeah, this is like if she was trying to like you know, she and Jeffrey were going through a rough patch and she had to find a way to get her and his group back. So for those who aren't watching the episodes along with <laughs> us or who have maybe suppressed this memory, she has a, a long sleeve sort of loose fitting flowy shirt, very cute, 
but there is a deliberate slit in the front middle from the bottom up to like maybe her sternum would you say it was like almost like she you know what iris said that it looks like almost she was wearing like a solar camis but only wearing like the top and not the bottom because it traditionally has slits on the side yeah (laughs) it was just very confusing to me and you know what a little upsetting i feel like this was buffy's worst look so far Wow, I did not feel that strongly about it. Interesting. I had a very strong negative reaction. And I also had a very strong negative reaction to the neck scarf, much like Cordelia's neck scarf in the previous episode. How did you feel about Willa's piece of hair flare scarf? Willow's? No, no, sorry, Willa. Willa was the friend who got pushed. No, Aditi. (laughs) No. Is that her name? Her name is Harmony. Where the fuck did I get Willa from? What? (laughs) I don't know. I really, I don't know. I really thought her name was Willa. God, I have a brand. Uh, Harmony? Her her name is Harmony? That doesn't sound right. That just, not even the same vowel sounds at all. (laughs) (laughs) All right. I guess her name is, I guess her name is Harmony, although I feel like I would have remembered it. Sure, yeah. That's not true. (laughs) What did you feel about Harmony's piece of flair in her hair then? Okay, so I actually came up with, with a, with a fan theory about these neck scarves. Mm -hmm. Cordelia and her ilk seem to survive relatively unscathed in Sunnydale. And I think these magician scarves must have some sort of, like, (laughs) protection spell. And that's why they all wear them. It's an amulet? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It just, it keeps the evil away. And that's why Buffy is wearing one. And that's why it doesn't work. Because it's not magic. It's like an actual person. Are you sure her name is Harmony? Yes, Aditi, I am positive. I am positive her name is Harmony. I don't. I don't believe that I would forget, like, this is concerning to me that my brain would literally just not register a completely different set of sounds. I I don't know what to tell you. Like, that is her name. <laughs> Justice for Harmony. Justice for Willa. <laughs> okay, so we have, we have then, obviously we talked about Willow's scooby shirt which i thought was cute but also very childish like Mm -hmm. her brand can be i have two willow slays this episode i don't know if it's just like a very emotionally resonant episode for me or what but i was feeling very generous (laughs) when i watched it and uh i think her flowered mini skirt tights black sneakers olive green zip up hoodie yeah it just looked really like cool and comfortable and i just liked it yeah slay (laughs) i also really liked at the very end where she's wearing overalls and a long-sleeved sort of tie-dye shirt. I could see someone in high school wearing that now that overalls are back. Yeah, yeah, that's true. They are back. Maybe I'm just gravitating towards comfort wear, since it is the winter and I never leave my home, but it just looked really nice and cozy. Yeah, I think, conversely, I am more gravitating towards, like, the looks, because Mm -hmm. I haven't gotten dressed up in nine months, so... Speaking of dressing up, honestly, everything Cordelia wore was a just total slay for me. I thought her May Queen dress was serving us some 90s, 10 Things I Hate About You, She's All That, like rom-com, teen rom-com vibes. Oh, I hated it. (laughs) Oh, I loved it. I loved the clashing metallic. It was just like, 
here's the thing prom dresses never look good unless you are like blessed with an older sister or just fight the urge to not go all out like i feel like it's the demented time and where people are like i'm gonna be like a princess myself included and so like you don't pick something like nice like and tasteful like it's you just go all out and so she literally looked like she was wearing like nail polish like glittery nail polish but i loved it i don't know to me it gave me like very bad ren fair costume vibes but now that you've explained this to me it makes sense and i rescind my nay you know she was also trying to be the may queen but like may of what year may of this century (laughs) ouch cordelia can take it she's tough ouch She's so hot. Speaking of which, <laughs> I loved her sexy debutante outfit with the white dress and the headband. I really enjoyed everything she 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 wore to varying degrees, but like she just she's just confident. She's just confident. She can rock it. She can rock a sweet lid. She can rock a sweet like full body lid. Whatever she is wearing, she does it well. <laughs> yeah. So I looked up some information about Charisma Carpenter, since this is our first Cordelia-centric episode. I think she plays a confident woman very well because, Mm -hmm. I mean, obviously she's beautiful. She was a cheerleader for the San Diego Chargers in 1991. Mm. She was in Baywatch. Mm. She did all of these, like, scientifically speaking, you are like one of the hottest people on earth things. Her name is Charisma. Like, you you, you have to be good looking to carry out that name. Yeah. With a name like Charisma Carpenter, you either go into acting or cabinetry. And I think she made the right choice. <laughs> I feel really happy that I'm at the point in my life, personally, in my own growth, where I wasn't, like, suspicious of Cordelia. Because I think if I were younger, I absolutely would have had the same reaction as you. And I'm just like... It's good that as an adult, I'm not, like, weirdly jealous of this teenage child who is my age, though, because the actress was around yeah. our age playing that character. But yeah, I'm like, that, that, that's good. I'm happy for me. <laughs> like, this is, this is where I'm at. What a great episode for you and for Willa. Honestly, like, shout out to Willa. I guess when she got pushed down the stairs, she got a new name, I suppose. I guess. Whatever. I do have Harmony's outfit just deserves a second of airtime <laughs> because she had her magic scarf and her ponytail, but she also had those two wispy pieces of hair sticking out in front. That was such a thing at the time. She did. And I just, it really took me back. And she's wearing basically the same costume as Tatum in Scream, Rose McGowan's character, on their way to their house party. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. Just the color palette is different, but the pants okay. and the crop top, and the pony like it's the same thing yeah and she's very clearly like a worker bee to cordelia's queen bee so she must be dressed accordingly yeah and i i think there's very clearly a right way to do it rose mcgowan in scream and a wrong way to do it harmony kendall in sunnydale harmony kendall that that harmony so harmony might look familiar to you also because that actress her name is mercedes McNabb, and she is also known for her iconic role in the adams family values what yeah she was the very preppy blonde kid that went to camp with wednesday adams and they had to do the thanksgiving play together i'll play the victim all your life yep and then she did <laughs> wow that's beautiful it is, isn't it? 
She's always just, like, adjacent to goth, much like us. Oh, I'm so happy you told me that. That's a delightful little piece of trivia. I cannot get over this (laughs) asking me about Willa as though it was... (laughs) I just, like, cannot remember the names of banal white people when I first meet them. And then I'll get there. I am so honored that you remembered my name. (laughs) (laughs) You are not banal. Thank you. Just wait for later in this podcast when Aditi calls me, like, Elmo or something. (laughs) I don't know what to tell you. (laughs) Oh, and I have one other thing. Yes, tell me. My... Sweet, misguided son, Xander, has really (laughs) embarrassed me in this episode. Oh. Because there was that scene when they first discovered that there was an invisible person running around Sunnydale. And I was like, imagine Mm -hmm. being a man and telling your female friends that the first thing you would do with invisibility was to spy on women in the locker room. Like, to commit a crime. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like, it probably landed differently then. I don't know. I'm I'm sure it did. We're in a post-Me Too era. However, I was like, you know what? Maybe it was a joke. We'll just let that one go. And then later in the episode, he's literally wearing a t-shirt that says Peep Show on it. And it has, like, like a Peep Show of 25 cents. And it's like an advertisement for an actual Peep Show. I completely missed that. I need to go back and find that shirt. He, like... Did he, like, piss off the costume people? Because between that and porn star, like, he really has had some choices. Yeah, like, <laughs> maybe Peep Show is a skateboard brand, too. But, like, there's only so many times you can use that <laughs> excuse. Also, we never really see him skateboard enough to justify this commitment to the skateboard subculture. We saw him skateboard once in the first episode. <laughs> <laughs> It's enough. It's enough. It sticks. And we saw him skateboard literally into a pole. So. Oh, yeah. (laughs) He's no Tony Hawk. Yeah, I think this was a pre-Tony Hawk universe. It was just a lack of a strong male skateboarding role model that did him in. (laughs) Man, poor Sander. Like, he really is, like, needing strong male influences in his life. And Giles is just not ready to be a dad to two teens. One is enough. No, no. Oh, Xander. Okay, so should we move on to Is It Cute? Yes. Is it cute? Okay, who do you have for Is It Cute in this episode? I clearly don't have Willa. (laughs) We must obviously discuss our girl well she's not really a girl uh marcy marcy's probably the number one number one baddie and do you want to throw in bullying as cute or not cute to discuss sure why not no boundaries in this pod we'll take on the tough topics (laughs) like bullying (laughs) the more you know marcy is it cute physically it's impossible to say she was invisible Mm-hmm. So this is one of the rare moments where the answer is not confined to the parameters of the question. It's a very it's a it's a very odd place to be. Schrodinger's cute. Schro- Schrodinger's cute. Exactly. Meow. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if she's physically cute. I'm gonna say I thought she was cute. 
And then she tried to do some facial reconstruction, uh, some non-consensual facial reconstruction. And I was like, no, no, this is not cute. But then when she found her lovable ragtag group of misfit losers that were also invisible, cute. Very cute. Okay, so so here's what I have. We we did see her a little bit in the flashbacks. And she looks like Clea Duvall, so she's very cute. Cute, cute. Yeah, I have, okay, physically cute, invisible, so difficult to say. Post-invisibility, floating weapons, not cute. However, disembodied giggle, maybe a little cute. Just add a little levity. (laughs) And then personality cute, not cute, but highly relatable as as like a child when you're supposed to be watching this. Yeah, yeah. Behind blue eyes. (laughs) <laughs> yes, I agree. I think that so I'm gonna t- I'm gonna I'm gonna disaggregate the bullying, the bullying that Marcy received from Cordelia. Emphatically not cute. It is always horrible to pick on someone who has less social status or less you know or fewer fewer abilities to stand up for themselves for whatever reason. Not cute. However, I think Cordelia picking on Xander, cute because it's funny. And they, I think, have enough repartee and social cachet to go at it with each other without it being mean. Oh, wow. This is controversial. I don't know uh, how to say this in a way that doesn't make mm. me sound like an asshole. But I think there are some people that you can sort of <laughs> mess with who can take it. And it's fine to mess with them. But if they can't take it, don't do it. Yeah. And if you're, like, messing with them in a way that is very clearly, like unequal like i think actually people who like classify bullying one of the hallmarks of bullying is that you're like bullying someone who is in like a lower position of power than you whether that's like physically or socially or financially or whatever and so that's actually like one of the hallmark components of bullying so again not cute but i mean like xander does fit those characteristics like you know he doesn't come from a wealthy family cordelia does he's not popular cordelia is but he's also deserving of punishment in a lot of ways (laughs) so i don't feel bad they also don't bully him explicitly on like the financial stuff and like they bully him on his personality but again that's fair game right i feel like xander makes those mistakes himself and it's not like he's not Mm -hmm. a victim of circumstance yeah this this has been uh this has been good this has been a good conversation In conclusion, bully Xander more. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And now a word from our sponsor. Longing for a simpler time? We've got just the thing to whisk you away to an anachronistic wonderland. Now that's what I call formal. This 12-part CD collection, yes, CDs, features all the hits from the wild dances of your pubescent years. Tracks include at least five different Nelly songs, Get Low by Lil Jon and the Eastside Boys. You know, the one where they yelled skeet, 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 but it was okay because none of the chaperones knew what it meant. The gentle wheeze of Axe Body Spray leaving its can. And this week of a hundred uncomfortable shoes awkwardly shuffling on a polished vinyl floor. All audio tracks have been remastered to capture the specific echo that can only come from ricocheting off the walls of a school gymnasium. Turn your daily crying session into a fun, nostalgic throwback with Now That's What I Call Formal. Use promo code MAYQUEEN at checkout to get a free gallon jug of lukewarm Hawaiian punch to really complete the experience. 
Grind your old bones away to the hits of your youth. Order today! Let's discuss the episode. I just want to say that it's sunny. Sunnydale is a very, uh, it's a very pure place in certain ways because I love that Buffy's mind went immediately to a school project and not some like horrific sex scandal between her and Giles when her bag comes undone and there's like all of these like medieval torture devices. I I thought it was very quaint. That's lovely. It's a very violent town, Sunnydale, but also very repressed. Mm-hmm. 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 I thought this was a very funny scene. What what Aditi is referencing is Buffy trips and falls in front of Cordelia and spills her bag full of like morning stars and stakes and medieval torture devices and or, you know, maybe pleasure devices, but not in Sunnydale. Honestly, I think part of why they do this is to make her feel relatable because she's such a superhero in other areas of her life. Yeah. But she is a slayer and she should have fast reflexes and things. And she is always so clumsy when she's not around vampires or demons or the forces of darkness. So maybe her slayer powers are only activated by evil. And without evil, she's just kind of a dork. A relatable dork. Relatable and lovable. I thought Cordelia in the classroom was truly incredible. Did you have to read The Merchant of Venice when you were in high school or college? I've never read it, but I did. I read the um, the Spark Notes before this episode. There you go, boo. Yep. So we read it in, in college and like, obviously, like you have to absolutely like address the anti-Semitism and like, you know, contextualize it in modern time and the time that's written. But um, Cordelia talking about it. She is not going to win any uh, Anti-Defamation League awards for her analysis of Shylock. (laughs) It was not great. She compares it to how this one time she hit a biker with her car and it was the most traumatic thing that happened to her. But like the biker was trying to make it all about her leg. Honestly, I got a lot of um, Mrs. Monique Samuels vibes from her in that moment. Wow. I actually, my comment was if Cordelia were from the South, she would have been in the Pray It Away camp. Like, this is a lot of personal responsibility to mm-hmm. leverage upon someone. I, I love her, but I did not love her analysis. But, uh, you know, she she's, she's young. She'll fully grow. Bless the patience of that teacher, honestly. Saved by the bell. Truly. I mean... Like, I also loved my high school English teacher. She was great. So I feel like, you know, we all have those teachers who were very much guideposts for us when we were children. So, you know, love me a good English teacher. So this teacher, the actress who plays her, is named Denise Dows. And she has made a career out of listening to insufferable women because she went on to play Molly's therapist on Insecure. She did. Oh, wow. A lot of famous faces Hmm. in here. Also, like, I really like Molly. I feel bad for calling her insufferable, but she did have demons to work through. Molly, Molly's a lot. They're both a lot. I thought it was a nice layer to her character development, having Cordelia be shown to be very invested in her schoolwork, because so far we've only seen her be invested in keeping her place at the top of the social hierarchy. But... She's also into school. She is like a more three-dimensional person than we've known before. And that's nice to see. Yes. Yeah, I thought I uh, totally agree. And it also shows that she's a motivated person, 
we we don't really see that she's motivated before this. It sort of seems like she's effortlessly at the top, but she really puts in a lot of work this episode, both socially and academically, so good for her. She is driven. It seems like she does things very effortlessly, but it's very clear that like even the things that come across very casually are very thoughtfully put together and she's she's very internally motivated to do well in whatever capacity that is like whether that's schoolwork or socially i agree and then moving from someone whom i think is on the download driven to probably isn't mitch well mitch is pretty driven because he went on to be on all my children for like years really wow everyone in this episode had a career damn she got it on this one (laughs) i i thought it was very funny how they tried to put like locker room talk in this episode but the boys in the locker room are from like the 50s and they (laughs) (laughs) like this guy comes up to mitch and says gotta look sharp to be on cordelia's arm who says that (laughs) is this locker room talk fans slide into our dms and tell us what locker room talk is please don't i'm very afraid Oh, man, I think that I could live a fulfilling life without knowing what was discussed in locker rooms. Yeah. (laughs) But again, the level of casual violence in this show. So yeah, Mitch is in the locker room and then he has a talk with his uh, Zoot Suit Riot boys (laughs) and uh, is trying to get ready for the day. And then you just see him get beat by this baseball bat being held by an invisible force. Yeah, so you hear some giggling in the background and then the bat seemingly of its own volition just like lemonades the shit out of him does but honestly like he was taking so long to get dressed at least something got him out of that locker room he would have been there all day (laughs) he he has made a home there (laughs) the next scene we have is like cordelia like taunting buffy and i just think it's really funny that in this world buffy would be bullied because she's so beautiful and she's so like clever in her own lane and i just think it's like i just think it's really funny when they try to like metaphorically put glasses on her because like she's she would she would never be bullied like she's she's really beautiful honestly in this instance i think it makes sense because she wasn't bullied when she arrived there like cordelia did try to befriend her initially but then she attacked cordelia with a stake and so she did so i think it makes sense that cordelia doesn't like her And if Cordelia doesn't like her, it makes sense that other people would stay away. Very pack behavior. Mm -hmm. Simpler times. Speaking of the pack, the consequence of the packs episode, Principal Snyder shows up, my nemesis, we meet again. I love him so much. I can't wait until you reach a point where you can appreciate him for the wonderful villain that he is. (laughs) He's so menacing about the stupidest (laughs) stuff. I love it. I did like when um, the Slayerettes were like, sue, they're going to sue at the school. And uh, like ev- any good administrator, he goes into damage control. Mm-hmm. So I did like that. He's he is funny. I also love that like Buffy is just accepted as like local area detective. <laughs> like Just let her do her thing. Mitch comes out like on the gurney and she's like, what happened? Where'd you see? Like, you know, she's just she's a uh, she's on the case. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That is very true. Just like in Nightmares, nobody wonders why she's asking these questions. You are very correct. <laughs> I'm like, all right. <laughs> Honestly, like, she's taught me a lot about confidence. Just, like, have confidence. Uh, what was the line from 30 Rock? If you have this uh, suit and you walk confidently, you can get in anywhere. I got into the White House one time with my pilot suit. Sure. Yeah. 
You can yes. you can get into the White House. You can get into the Sunnydale boys' locker room. Hell yeah. <laughs> zoot zoot, baby. <laughs> Gotta look sharp to get into this locker room. <laughs> so the team goes to lunch. They discuss their options with Giles, who just like sits with them at lunch, normal style. In this scene, Xander has a chance to be comedic, which I enjoy. Mm -hmm. I struggle so much with how much I love Xander and knowing, knowing academically that he is a fool and worthless, and yet the heart knows what it wants. And I think that is exemplified in this conversation at lunch, where he's like, how can I help? And they suggest he researches, and he says, no, I don't want to help that way. How else do I help? And they were like, well, you could talk to Cordelia. And he's like, ew, gross. I don't want to do that either. I guess I will do nothing. And it's supposed to be very funny, but really he's just being kind of a turd. And I think Xander is supposed to be to male viewers what Bella Swan is supposed to be to female fans of Twilight. I'm going to need you to explain this because as we know, I am a Twi dilettante, so I know a little bit. Okay, so I'm I'm sort of just like guessing here because I haven't actually read okay. or seen or consumed any Twilight media. You're really missing out. I'm sorry, maybe I'll get to it. We'll do a Twilight podcast after this one. <laughs> I think Xander really doesn't have a lot of distinguishing characteristics. Okay. He's there and he's kind of funny and kind of in a hero role for no reason. And he reacts in a sort of everyman way to situations, and he's praised for it. And I think he's just supposed to be a sort of blank slate that male viewers can project themselves into. And I think that Bella is supposed to be that. He's a tabula rasa for all of us to project our shit on. Right, exactly. Nice, tabula rasa. Our fans will love that. <laughs> Sick. <laughs> Sick. But yeah, that's that's sort of the vibe I get from him. And I, I wonder if he was put in to try and get male viewership or support for the show, since it has so many female leads. That's a really good point. Uh, and I, he does like the comedy bit really well. I like that he is just a friend to Buffy and is, is part of the gang. And she's able to explore like romantic entanglements outside of the group. Yeah. Okay, okay. So then we go to Cordelia, who is so worried about Mitch because what will he look like in pictures? <laughs> I loved it. I loved it. <laughs> I know. I know you did. I love a girl who has her priorities straight. It was very, this episode is very 90s. So it reminded me a lot of in Clueless, when Donald Faison, aka Murray, gets his head shaved at a party down at the valley and Dion is just before your book pictures, what am I going to tell my grandchildren? But yeah, I think I think that's why I liked it too. It was like a little silly thing. But yeah, she's very concerned about, you know, rightfully so. Like, what's it to her? Rightfully so. Sure. Okay. Mm -hmm. We'll stick with that. She's never she's never not pretended to be deeply selfish. Like she <laughs> she's not there to make friends. She is unashamedly herself. Yeah. <laughs> While it may not be cute, but is admirable. <laughs> okay. What did you think about the unlikely buddy cop duo of Giles and Angel? I wrote in all caps, Angel is back. Thank God. 
I thought that the mirror bit was very clever, just like Angel. And I thought it was great that they were going to, you know, that Giles was listing out all of these lost arcane texts. But of course, of course, Angel knew how to find the codex because my boyfriend loves to read. He's not like other girls. Oh my god, Aditi, this is so funny to me. (laughs) Why? I just, we have such different responses to everything. I know. I know. I know. And then um, Giles pulls out the book Legends of Vishnu, which is not a book. I looked it up because I was feeling like a negligent Hindu, but it's fine. I was right. Giles is wrong. Thank God. Okay, so I was wondering if you'd have thoughts on this book. (laughs) The Buffyverse wiki (laughs) tries to come up with a justification for this. They note that it is not a real book. Mm -hmm. The Buffyverse wiki says... Based on the major deity and member of the Hindu trinity, the book likely details the chronicles of the Lord Vishnu. Some relevant aspects to Giles' research on invisibility include the description of Vishnu as having a universal form, Vishvarupa, am I saying that right? You, You may be the only right thing right now happening. Thank you. Beyond the limits of human sense and perception, in another interpretation, Vishnu is also referred to as a mortiman, i.e. having no form. So, okay. <laughs> a little bit of a stretch. Right. I'm going to say maybe they overstretched. Maybe they should have loosened up before getting there. <laughs> I don't really see the link. In like Hinduism, there are three like major components of the divine, and Vishnu is the preserver, and there are many, many um, avatars of Vishnu that are very well known like within like like Hinduism, Hindu mythology. So, I get that but i don't think there's anything explicit with with that uh story and invisibility but you know it's nice to feel exotic i guess this was during the time when gwen stefani was really bringing indian culture to the mainstream with her bindi when gwen stefani was so brave to Mm -hmm. wear her bindi Mm -hmm. yes yes Oh, man, I forgot about that. Because she was dating an Indian guy. That's why. Yep. Wow. Tony Canal, you have so much to answer for. Maybe Giles is also dating an Indian guy. And he's like, well, better just throw this in for my bae. <laughs> wow. Uh, look, I'm not an expert. It's, it takes many, many, many moons to gain any sort of proficiency over the complex mythology and philosophy and ontology of Hinduism. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go on a len- ledge, ledge and say that uh, Legends of Vishnu ain't it. Yeah, I would probably not list the Buffyverse wiki as my number <laughs> one source of truth <laughs> regarding Hinduism. It's fine. Like... I don't expect a ton of racial and cultural sensitivity from a British person uh, who worked at the British Museum, so it's fine. I just want to tell you right now, keep those expectations nice and low. (laughs) Sly, baby. (laughs) Oh, boy. So walk me through what you thought about my my boyfriend coming back. Okay. Giles has, has worn on me this season, I think... By this point, we're supposed to like him more than I do in this rewatch iteration. But this episode, he was fun, Giles, and I really liked it. Mm-hmm. 
I thought he had such genuine reactions to silly things, and it was very endearing. I thought his reaction to Angel saying that he had this this Pergamum Codex, he had a very genuine, like, childlike joy, mm-hmm. and I thought it was very sweet. Mm-hmm. I did think it was very funny that Angel comes in as, like, this dark cloud of just, like, reeking of depression <laughs> Do you think he smells like Dracarnoir? <laughs> so, like, I know that he doesn't breathe or whatever, but I think he probably smells like <laughs> old cigarettes. Oh, uh, yeah. It feels right to me. Angel is just a person who is so consumed by being sad. It must just be seeping <laughs> out of his pores. You also would be really sad if you spent all this time and money to get a sick back piece tattoo and you can't even show it to people because you can't go outside during the day um (laughs) you could show it to people i think at this point he is making the wise choice not to (laughs) but he's just such a downer giles is like wouldn't it be cool to be invisible how exciting and angel's like i a person who is clearly not invisible, know enough about being invisible to know that it sucks. No one knows what it's like to be the bad man, to be the sad man. I think that's his entry song. He'll <laughs> walk in with a boombox. <laughs> the Limp Bizkit version. He like doesn't have the grace to like to like the Who version. It's just, it's definitely Limp Bizkit. I think the tattoo says enough about his taste to tell us which version it is. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. He's just so, (laughs) just like over the top sad. He's such a sad boy. I mean, this year has turned me into a sad boy. So I I mean, big same, man. Big same. (laughs) I just, I just really liked that he found some way (laughs) to make this thing that Giles was excited about, (laughs) about him and how he is sad. Behind the walls. (laughs) But I, I do really like, I think this is the first time we've seen an interaction between Angel and Giles. And I think they were both very pure in their emotions. Giles in his excitement and Angel in his deep depression. He's like hot Eeyore. Yeah, he's Eeyore that fucks. He's not a donkey. He's He's got that ass. Oh. <laughs> oh I'm proud of that one. <laughs> Fans, this is our last episode of the podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, on from your bay with the donkey booty. (laughs) We are are moving to Cordelia being crowned as May Queen. We hear her say, being this popular is not just my right, it is my responsibility, (laughs) which I loved. I love her. (laughs) I love that. I love that. I think it's a it's a testament to how well the show is written and how well Charisma Carpenter can act to make Cordelia an endearing character, even though she is clearly so mean and, and so misguided in many ways. We discover Marcy Ross is our Invisigirl, mm-hmm. and Buffy finds her, her little nest in the ceiling, finds her yearbook. Yes. Honestly, I think the scariest moment in the season so far is when she has the knife and Buffy doesn't realize she's there and there's a floating knife. I felt genuine anxiety. Yeah, that was not my favorite. Mm-hmm. 
Yep, so we discover it's Marcy Ross, and then we get to the scene where uh, Cordelia is supposed to be meeting with Mrs. Miller, the English teacher, but then Marcy shows up and puts a dang plastic bag over Mrs. Miller's head. Mrs. Miller goes through so much. Yeah, she's just trying to educate the kids. Yeah, just trying to educate the kids, meeting after school voluntarily with the most self-centered person on earth (laughs) so giving (laughs) and look what she gets suffocated but cordelia arrives in time she saves mrs miller and she sees that marcy has written listen on the chalkboard and she had written look on the lockers in the locker room so she's clearly sending messages yes yes and i did very much enjoy the realization that Marcy Ross was a victim of the hands slash hags platitude. Mm. Have a nice summer. Have <laughs> Was all over her yearbook. I thought that was very funny and very well done. Yeah. So I saw this episode before I had ever had a yearbook because I was still in elementary school. Mm. So my first time that there were yearbooks being signed, I was very nervous because of this episode. Because I was like, if someone writes, have a great summer, now I know what they'll think of me. (laughs) I will tell you, though, when we discover that Marcy got bullied into invisibility, I was like, damn, that shit would have hit me deep as a baby. Yeah, it did. And I, I remember, like, her anger was something that I really related to. I love the delivery that Cordelia has when, um... Giles says, I don't recall ever seeing you here before. And she just so deadpan is like, oh, no, I have a life. I loved it. I thought it was great. Her whole monologue is so perfect. Mm -hmm. It's all about me. Me, me, me. Her like, if I'm not crowned tonight, uh, Marcy wins. That is some like, we can't let the terrorists win. We have to go out and keep shopping. Like it is some like, we can't let the virus win and change our life logic. Yeah. Cordelia, I think she would wear a mask, but I think she would wear a mask to do a lot of, like, indoor activities. Do you think she would post stuff on Instagram with, like, 14 people and, like, don't worry, we all got tested before coming here, that, that, like, disclaimer? Like, a a photo of, like, 10 people with their faces all smushed together, but they're all wearing masks and it's hashtag social distance. I think she's one of those. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oof. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry, Cordelia. Um, I did, however, like the exchange between Cordelia and Buffy. You know, like that moment of self-awareness was was really nice to see. And I think it developed the character beyond beyond a surface level understanding. And that's why I think the episode is so good. Which? This monologue? No. God, no. The the <laughs> the exchange that, that Cordelia and Buffy have while she's like changing... And she's uh, talking about about like about her feelings, about being popular, about having an image to maintain, about loneliness, and it's better to be lonely with a bunch of people, although she still feels lonely. It was it was a really well done scene. Yeah, I I think it's supposed to humanize her. I I think it's interesting the way Cordelia is treated, like how we are supposed to grow to love her, because mm-hmm. and and I think you asked this question like right in the beginning when we met her. You mentioned that, like, most mean girls are mean girls because they themselves have been bullied or whatever, but we really don't get that sense with Cordelia. And it's interesting to see where that comes from, because she does have insecurities, 
But she's also deeply, deeply unself-aware in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. And I think if she yeah. had more emotional intelligence, she might be able to be like, maybe I can be popular and loved instead of popular and feared, which is where a lot of these problems come from. So I read her as being self-aware, and I think that she is choosing to be popular and fe- and feared versus popular and loved because that expects an amount of vulnerability that she is unwilling to give. Ah, that's an interesting take, too. She's a mystery, this Cordelia Chase, and it's it's very fun to see her character unfold. I'm excited. I So I know that you always ask about the budget for this school, and I kind of want to know the budget too, because they rented out the bronze for this May Queen dance, mm-hmm. and I would have thought it would be like the gym. Even on the OC where everyone's yeah. rich, all the dances are in the gym. Yeah, that is a good point. That is a good point. Maybe Cordelia's parents pitched in. Were your dances at, at like outside venues? That's so sweet to assume that I attended. <laughs> I, think the, I think the school sanctioned ones were in the school. Yeah, I think we just, like, put streamers up in the gym and called it a day. Yeah, and just put some Nelly on and let the Lord take its course. Yeah, y'all can grind to hot in here next to these bleachers. It'll be fine. (laughs) (laughs) Like, whoever draws a short end of the straw to have to chaperone a teenage dance at a gym when the air is redolent with hormones and, like, aerosol body spray, like, you are braver than the troops. Did I ever tell you I had to DJ a junior high school dance once? You have to tell me everything right now. It was me and my friend, and we were, as I mentioned earlier on this pod, in the, like, what counted as, like, the AV club in high school, and they were like, (laughs) We need people to just DJ this dance for extra credit. All you have to do is, like, make a mix CD. (laughs) And then play it on the audio equipment. And so we made, like, two or three mixed CDs, and they both had, like, ten songs on them. And we were like, they're junior high kids. How long can a dance be? It'll be, like, an hour, and they'll be gone. (laughs) But all these kids were so excited to be in a gym, and they requested the same, like, five songs over and over. And then one poor kid... We had like some slow jams on there in case anyone wanted to get uh, wanted to to like sway back and forth and maybe graze a butt. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> God, it was like I think it was like one song from from maybe by the Postal Service that was supposed to be like the the like slow romantic song or whatever. Is it such great heights? Yes, that was the one. That's not even, like, a good slow No, it's not. It's too, like, bippity-boppity. And so one kid requested that song. And then all of the (laughs) other kids just screamed at him for being the worst (laughs) and killing the vibe. Oh, my God. That's so... Oh, that poor... You know what? That child right now probably works for Vice. So jokes on all of y'all. Yeah, we cut the song off early because there was going to be like a a 13-year-old revolt. (laughs) Oh my god. This reminds me of the time I went to a wedding in Memphis and I was really just feeling the spirit. So I asked the DJ if he would play any Selena. Not Selena Gomez, but Selena, Mm -hmm. the South Texas royalty or LCD sound system. And he said to me, and I quote, ma'am, this is a white wedding. And then just went about his work. Oh my god! (laughs) This is a white wedding? We're gonna play doo-wop only? (laughs) 
Oh man, yeah. I think I don't think he heard the second part because that that's real white. But the <laughs> Selena, he was like, no, no, <laughs> too many too many monolingual speakers here, man. No. <laughs> anyway, the lesson is never go to a dance unless you are being crowned queen. <laughs> never request the postal service. I love that story. They all turned on this child who wanted, who was being <laughs> victimized for having good taste. And, and like, honestly, I understand because we had played one, two step like 10 times and he was like, maybe it's time for the postal service. I don't know. <laughs> this is incredible. I hope he lives somewhere in Brooklyn now. He's making a name for himself in the art scene. Or maybe he became a postman. Mmm. Well, then he's a true American hero if he did that. Just living that postal service life every damn day. <laughs> Thank you for sharing. That really made my day. Good. I'm glad. I'm glad. <laughs> There's got to be one embarrassing gem from my past unearthed each episode. <laughs> okay. Poor Cordelia gets abducted by Marcy and then Buffy follows her and Buffy's so strong. It's impressive. I loved when Marcy says to Buffy, what are you going to do? Slay me? I loved it. I love Marcy. Mm -hmm. She's the best. I mean, she has invisibility. Otherwise, she's just like a normal person. But she's like, she's smart as hell. She set up a trap for the other Slayerettes. She was going to gas them to death. She has a vision. She has a plan. She executes. Like, I just, I really like her. So, uh, the, the pinnacle of the show the emotional intensity is when we see that not only has marcy cornered uh, our slayerettes and giles into a room that is slowly being poisoned but also she has tied up cordelia and buffy and is about to disfigure cordelia and uh, oh my god marcy does not come to play games she does not I thought it was very sweet of marcy to create like a glitter backdrop that said learn sweet yeah i i like that she's crafty i like that she you know this was a pre-pinterest era she must have dreamed it all up herself just up there in her ceiling nest i'm glad that you found something redeemable about marcy but the knife stuff really did like scare me i did not like that buffy always with the clever slays the fact that she got the little curtain on top of her very clever there was that moment where she was listening and there was like a slow camera circle around her and it was a little bit slow-mo. She just looked so heroic. It was such a good moment. It was good. I liked it. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then like while that stuff is happening, we are juxtaposing it with the fact that my king Angelus saves the day and lets our Slayerettes out of the toxic fumed area. Good old Irish Angelus. Your lucky charm. <laughs> yeah, I did think it was clever that he was able to rescue them from a room that was full of gas because he does not have to breathe because he's a vampire and thus dead. Walk me through what your thoughts were for the ending. I loved it. When I was a kid, I was like, that's fucking badass. I love it. I love that she's going to be a spy. I thought it was so cool. Yeah. Now that I am an adult and I have a more complete view of America's role in global <laughs> politics. I am less enthused. You know, you're so smart because I just realized that's what they were studying. That was like the last line of her. That was like the last scene was the textbook talking about um, assassination, like spy adjacent things. Yeah. 
There you go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought it was wholesome, and then the ending, now as an adult, knowing history, less wholesome. Oh, Aditi, I love your kind heart. That's lovely. (laughs) Because I thought she was getting rehabilitated with a bunch of invisible losers like herself. Like, I thought it was, like, a sweet ending. I'm so dumb. I thought it was, like... (laughs) No, my my dumb ass was like, oh, they're like gonna heal each other and have an like an island of misfits and like like in this land there are no popular people because they're all invisible. Oh, I'm so dumb. That would have been a, a lovely ending. I have to say I like this ending a little bit better. I think it fits the tone of the show more. Behind blue eyes. <laughs> Behind blue FBIs. <laughs> I thoroughly enjoy this. So she's going to be a, an invisible government assassin. The text in her FBI How to Assassinate a World Leader book is the lyrics to Happiness is a Warm Gun by the Beatles, except they changed the phrase to Joy is a Hot Revolver, which I think is very funny. <laughs> I also liked the end. I You know, I think it would have been too saccharine if, like, Cordelia became, like, immediate besties with the Slayerettes. Like, I did like that she was, like kind of an asshole to them at the end because eh, you know the law of the jungle must be respected and again cordelia chooses every day to be popular and feared instead of popular and loved and it would have been a huge departure from her character if she did anything else we really are on the opposite side of the spectrum because i want to be unpopular and loved (laughs) and i want to be an invisible government assassin can we can we read it Yeah, yeah yeah what did you think Oh, loved. High stakes. I loved the, it was not an homage. It was like, you know, it was contemporaries of a lot of like 90s movies. I loved the Cordelia background. Obviously, Angelus showing up, doing the work, a man, a vampire. I really like have no faults in the episode. I thought it was great. It also did further along the like story long, season long, you know, story with the Codex. High high stakes. I think one of my favorite episodes of the season. Really? I love that. I love that. I just, that yeah, makes me very yeah. happy. I think it is probably the highest of the medium stakes. Personally, I love it because I love Marcy so much. And, and child me was really invested in Marcy. But I think as an adult, it's not... To me, anyway, it's not the scariest, it's not the funniest, it's not the one that advances the plot the most. I I like it for a lot of reasons, but it's not the best for any of those reasons, if that makes sense. I think that absolutely makes sense. I think I like it because you get little tastes of everything. You get the slapdash comedy, you get the witty repartee, you get the, you know, story, the, you know, progressing the storyline, you get a little bit of, like, teenage melodrama and spooky scary stuff and Buffy fighting and like I think so I like it because you get a little like flavor of everything but I totally see where you're coming from we're we're different but we're same yeah it's a it's a delightful charcuterie board mm. Mm. beautiful <laughs> well I guess people are gonna listen to this in the new year happy new year everybody yeah I hope your 2021 is going nicely if y'all have any great uh dance stories that you want to share just uh yeah just dm us let us know I'd love to know what was your one-two step. What was your such great heights? Were you ever the May Queen? Let us know. What was your dress like? All right, y'all. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to another fantastic episode of Big Mistake. 
If you have any messages for us, or if the apocalypse comes, beep us at BigMistakePod on Twitter and Instagram, or at BigMistake at gmail.com. That's B-I-G-M-I-S-S-S-T-A-K-E. Catch you at the bronze.